Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, all right, how's it going? <laughs> how's it going? You, you, you get... I said it differently today. Yeah, freak me out to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I can hear that it threw you, I'm so sorry. No, it's fine, it's fine. You normally go, hello, and I'm like, oh yeah. Hello. Ready to do some fucking podcasting. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the feeling, isn't it? So, yeah. Matthew, before we started recording this episode, which is about Cyberpunk 2077, you DM'd me saying, a food hut in Bath has closed. Um, of significance. Mm. Would you like to discuss that? Yeah, it sent shockwaves through the Green Park <laughs> Station food hut community. Yeah, macro, macro economy. <laughs> yeah, goulash is gone. <laughs> yeah, the goulash hut. Legendary goulash hut. Legendary goulash hut named goulash has, <laughs> is no longer there and has been replaced by, drumroll, a jacket potato place. Oh, what is that? Oh, that's so mediocre as a replacement. We can we can do better. It's it's got a good name. What's it? What is it? Go. It's called Straight Jackets. Oh, that's all right. I mean, is it fun to make uh, make light of mental health issues, Matthew? I don't think so. No, it's but... like straight jacket <laughs> potato. Oh, I see. Yeah, straight jackets. Yeah, oh, man. I was. You I was. Took, only... You took the wind out of my sails with that one. <laughs> I was only trolling. Um, I and it was say... better than goulash, which was really like phoning it in. The Goulash uh, hut survived the pandemic, and like, I don't believe they looked at the cost of living crisis and thought, "Oh, I'm not sure we can get through this, lads." The returns on Goulash have got to be pretty high. They're charging like, what, seven or eight quid for it? Um, well, just... uh, enough that they've moved from the hut to the cursed shopfront, <laughs> which uh, a business which seems doomed to fail every couple of years. Yeah, like that. That little strip of um, extra shops is getting pretty good. They got Taka Taka there now. Did you know that? Yeah. That's pretty solid. I like Attack Attacker. They do uh, good raps in there. Um, there's now a dude who works in Attack Attacker who worked in another place I used to go to for lunch. And um, there's a real awkwardness when he sees me. He's it's not like, Tony from Intermezzo, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be bleak. I, I, like, I like to think he's retired into the sunset. Um, this is another guy who's like, who, who I think like maybe in the first restaurant he thought, oh, you seem like a nice guy. You come to this restaurant. Good for you. And then he sees me in another restaurant repeating my really bad food habits elsewhere. And I think he's like, you've got a genuine problem, haven't you? Kind of like vibes to it. And like, he's not, you know, if he believes that, he's not wrong. That's what I'm saying, Matthew. Um, mm. But Goulash maintains its brick and mortar presence, which baffles me. Did you see uh, that there's a, a milk bun opening on that strip of shops too, which is like a high-end burger restaurant um, from Bristol? Is that replacing the Wolf Wine Bar? Yeah, yeah, which I thought would really thrive in Bath, but I guess not. The wine guy always seems like he's pretty moneyed, though. He didn't seem too cut up about... Yeah, you know. I mean, the wine the wine hut is successful, and they've pulled off uh, the, the quite big power play of... They've now got two sheds in oh, Green yeah, Park yeah. Station. That, that second shed doesn't seem like it from the outside looking in, right? It's a good hang. I like went there on Bathtoberfest, hashtag Bathtoberfest, <laughs> <laughs> and had what I would describe as an 8 out of 10 time. It was like... <laughs> Rock solid. It yeah, it doesn't seem like a party hangout from the outside, but once you're in there, it's got it's got good good ambience. It looks like it might have Alpine Lodge energy, <laughs> and they've also got very fine wines, or so I'm told by Catherine, who likes wines. Yeah, they are good wines actually. He's got excellent taste, as you'd hope for a place called the Wine Hut. Um, the beers are more mediocre, but that's what I've got independent spirit for. They got my back on that. Um, so I can go sit in the Wine Hut uh, hut, and you can go sit in the Jack and Potato hut, and uh, yeah, we'll occasionally converse. I think that'd be a good use of a. Uh, Mm. an evening if not a lunchtime so uh good how many how, how long was that like 12 fucking minutes about restaurants let's talk about cyberpunk um yeah, matthew 
So yes, this episode, I kind of wanted to revisit Cyberpunk because it's been really interesting to see its reputation turn around this year. It was this massively hyped game launched in 2020, had a bunch of issues, particularly on consoles, and a lot, a bunch of bugs and other issues. It clearly wasn't ready for prime time. Mm-hmm. And yet, two years have passed. They've been patching it constantly. They've released a bespoke next-gen version. And um, they've also released an anime, which has supercharged interest in it. Seemingly, that was the uh, the anime is sort of doing. But it means that like the player count for it has been incredibly high. So on PC, I think it, when I checked yesterday, there were 50,000-plus people playing it at one time, which is pretty amazing for a game from two years ago. It's the type of thing you might see with a you know a skyrim but very rare with a single player game on pc mm. so yeah i was curious to to come back to it because i'd only played a few hours at the time matthew and um thought i'd come back and uh, i know that you finish it at the time so i thought like, the contrast in our opinions might be uh might be good and um mm. even if even if it's not there's a god of war episode next week that people can look forward to and this could be a write-off which is fine uh, <laughs> so yeah um matthew i thought we'd start back at the beginning so um the cyberpunk hype cycle that was something that was firmly happening while you and i were in you know if not games media then you know adjacent to games media what are your memories of that that hype cycle does it conjure painful sort of feelings from the past yes but that might be from working on rock paper shotgun specifically who managed to earn the ire of what seemed like the entire internet at the time by being less than enthusiastic about the the kind of build where cyberpunk really exploded that first behind closed door thing it wasn't even the first time i think it was the second time it was shown the first time there was all the kind of breathless excitement as everyone watched this this locked away demo and then spilled out and desperately tried to scrawl their thoughts about what they'd seen because it was so dense with information you know it was total overload it was quite hard demo to kind of really get the full scale of in any particular write-up but i think it was actually in the gamescom follow-up one of the writers on rps was slightly down on it and then it, it basically marked us out as enemies of cyberpunk online and me working on the youtube channel at the time who hadn't even seen this demo was just inundated with shit about this game which is i know it's got nothing about to do with the wider cyberpunk experience and no one else will have experienced that particular experience but it, it really uh definitely like soured it for me you know at a time where i wanted to to be getting you know pumped for this never before seen level of detail and crazy technical ambition and actually i just associated the game with its really horrible horrible fan base i had to add like every cyberpunk adjacent word imaginable to our word filter on youtube so if you commented on it your your comments basically went into comment limbo because we had all those kind of youtuber kind of hate preachers who kind of stir up shit and try and get everyone to pile on channels Mm. we got it because of this one preview on rps so you know as you can clearly tell i'm not entirely over that experience and i know that's got nothing to do with cg project red but the game spoke to a particularly unpleasant bunch of people back then and actually it seemed to sort of die off quite quickly once it was out yeah surprise surprise they probably turned their ire on the uh, people who made it instead because yeah piece of shit boys on the internet or, or they yeah. just or they got invested in the snyder cut movement matthew which um yeah is it's yeah. more wide though because n- normally you go oh there's there's like a certain set of maniacs who you expect this from but there was some there were some people i actually like legitimately liked who piled on us as well and i was and now i hate them and it's really annoying because they're they're still liked by other people i won't name them because i'm not Oof. petty but um 
you know, there's there's some quite mainstream channels went to bat so hard for this game years before it came out. Um, I lost a lot of respect, you know, for for quite a lot of of YouTubers through this experience. But. That's poor form. That reminds me of when I was on. Um, there was like one YouTuber who shared uh, a vi- like shared like a bit of text that was quite inflammatory about a game that wasn't from actually like from PC Gamer, but said it was from PC Gamer and then said it was due to like waning rep- editorial relevance. And I thought, you absolute prick. <laughs> I just thought, I just thought like, there's no need for that. Like, why don't you just make your thing and not slam your peers? It's not fucking hard. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. hard It's hard enough out there on the internet. Don't be a prick. It's really simple. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but yeah. anyway, but that's, you know, this, the cyberpunk story is long and complex. It starts... It starts quite unpleasantly, but then when it comes out, it obviously gets a taste of, of like its own horrible community, and my sympathies shift a bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I remember it just being like a, an exhausting time of every single detail that dropped in a in an interview for you know maybe translated from another language into English, and then that would become like a news story that you'd see in, throughout the day. Um, and then like the very provocative marketing i remember like one piece of key art that i had completely forgotten about actually uh, one piece of artwork of like an advert in the game of like um depicting a trans character fetishizing a trans character that mm. got kicked up so much shit and like that was just a knackering cycle to live through and it went on for so long as well it was such a long period like um the the thing is like this game was i think it was like 2012 they first talked about making this um mm. i remember when i was on running games tm in 2013 we ran a feature on on cyberpunk they had that one piece of artwork of that girl in her knickers with her arm blades in the road which right. was like which dated really fast and then like mike pondsmith was doing interviews about it and cd project did an interview about it so that was like a you know eight year cycle ultimately they even before they properly developed the witcher 3 they were talking about you know we're making this thing and then yeah i just remember like those two you know backward in person events were a thing but like i think it was 2018 and 2019 just cyberpunk being the centerpiece of everything going on at like e3 and gamescom um these presentations that were highly coveted that wanted people wanted to get behind the scenes and see it um because they would like not actually reveal it to the public uh until later and i think it's fair to say that the first time they showed it it didn't really look it looked too good to be true and then when you play the finished game it doesn't quite look as good as it did the first time they showed it now i'm not passing off blame there there's loads of reasons that that could be the case they had to show off like an early slice of it games you know performance and stuff doesn't and graphics that stuff can come down to the wire in a lot of cases so you know but it was so exhausting to live through and it means that i I never quite was able to escape that shadow when it actually came out you know yeah that's fair i will say that my interactions directly with developers on this you know when we got quite good interview access you know funnily enough while the internet was saying we were these you know enemies of cyberpunk you know cd project red were you know still inviting us to all their previews and we were doing all the interviews at e3 and gamescom and you know they were always very open it was a difficult game to interview someone about because the demo seemed so unlikely you kind of think do i spend my time mining them for new information because like you say you could have the headline they're swimming in cyberpunk and it would get you like a billion views um i think that was specifically on pc gamer actually (laughs) But you also felt like, well, I actually want to kind of interrogate what this is going to be. And I, I feel like I did waste a lot of my opportunities 
talking to them or basically going, come on, come on, this isn't real, this isn't right, this isn't what you're promising for an entire game, is it? This can't be. And, you know, hearing sort of slightly bemused developers go, well, you know, yeah, you know, try to talking around it and, and, and trying not to kind of commit either way. I will say, you know, when we talk about the final game, we cover this, but, like, it is... Uh, uh, it is a game which has moments of incredible detail, which are close to what they showed, and then it scales down to to something far less impressive. Like sometimes in the course of a single mission, it's 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 a very interesting game as to where like resources and time and effort went. I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely come back to that. Uh, so I suppose like two years after release, Matthew, do you what do you make of the consensus around Cyberpunk? Where do you think it? currently sits in people's favor were you surprised by the the spike of interest in it that came out came along this year not really i mean like you know they've been tidying it up and there's i know lots of people kind of decided that they didn't want to have that experience particularly on console it just seemed so underpowered like i as did most of the people who reviewed it reviewed it on pc i don't think you could review it on console so all its scores are pc scores and while it was definitely wonky back then it was like you know very playable and you you got a, a, a much better idea of like you know what this thing was meant to look like and things i've seen of of the console versions they still don't look quite as good as it looked on my pc you know in that review session really i think at the time the conversation was so dominated by like the the technical bug question i don't really feel like there was a lot of like particularly interesting engagement with this game mechanically like my review didn't really go either way on the on the tech stuff like i didn't really massively ding it for its for, for, for its bugs and glitches like i had bigger problems with it like i i don't think it is a masterpiece i don't think if you fix it and polish it up this game is is a brilliant brilliant game i think it's a, a sometimes great game and certainly very interesting very rarely boring but I felt like the consensus at the time was of very little value to me because it felt like it was either people going, it's the best thing I've ever played, or it seemed to be people going, this thing is so fucked, no one could possibly ever like this. And so to sit in the very unsexy position in the middle going, well, you know, I think it has major mechanical limitations and RPG, no one really cared for that line. Mm. So, if, you know, and I don't feel like it's been critically revisited um until no. this podcast this groundbreaking <laughs> podcast <laughs> yeah I, I feel like whenever i saw like updated pieces on it it would tend to be is it fixed now was a kind of headline which is you know completely fair because a lot of people are yeah. asking that um but it's but the problems that everyone was really worried about while visually really important were also like so far from what was really wrong with it i felt you know, and they have addressed some of it. You know, they have re-tinkered with some of the skill systems and things like that. But I, th- I think it's still a quite a inherently flawed game. It's not like once the glitches are fixed, it's a 10. That just isn't true. Shall I get into it, Matthew? Shall I yeah. jump in with my thoughts here? So, yeah, I, um, I I played about two or three hours at the time. Not enough to see, like, the first major twist that kind of sets up the entire story, including, like, how you get Keanu Reeves in your head and stuff, which is... Um, not something that happens straight away. It happens a few hours in. So I'd like um, I had my experience of driving around the city, thinking, "Oh, that's that's pretty." Um, but I will come back later on when some of these bugs are ironed out. And I think superficially, it's it's like it's pretty much there. I had like um, a couple of bugs. Like uh, there was a, a, a cutscene near the end where 
um, two characters got in a car and then the car was upside down and they climbed into the car while it was upside down. And that was probably the <laughs> the biggest bug I had um, throughout the campaign, other than like one where I couldn't get into a vehicle I needed for an objective, and then a few like NPCs just wandering into um, different buildings and 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 generally being a bit um, sort of tricky. But I do agree with you that like there hasn't been a huge amount of evaluation of how this functions as a as an rpg because um or like as a game generally the weird thing about this game is it is an open world game an rpg and a first person shooter and that is a lot to take on at once and i would say that it does all of them okay i would say it's like probably the worst at being an rpg i would say the changes you make to your character are so incremental they don't feel that meaningful um mm-hmm. i felt that for about the abilities throughout the game like no matter what i sort of put my points into um in terms of stats or in terms of like specific uh kind of like uh, within every stat there's a different set of like sub sub stats basically that allow you to tinker things like you know reducing fall damage or increasing the amount of damage that a shotgun or light machine gun does in combat that sort of thing i would say that none of that made for a meaningful or exciting sort of like rpg curve in terms of power and mm. as an rpg in terms of how you affect the story it's very weak really um mm. like it's not a game that's meaningfully affected by your choices you do make a few choices but a lot of them kind of live in a vacuum really um mm. and don't make a huge difference there is like one narrative arc they want you to sort of uh exist within i suppose then as a shooter it's fun and flashy and i think the guns feel nice but it is a little bit like what if someone tried to build Call of Duty levels for Fallout 4? Like, this combat that is sort of limited by the RPG numbers and RPG-ness of it. It means it doesn't quite convince as a sort of shooter, as a Twitch shooter. Um, It's a little bit messier than that. And then, as an open-world game, I think it's probably at its best, because the spectacle of the city is amazing. It, It does seem like just very shiny at first and there's not much to it but every now and then it will pull you into a corner of it where it'll it'll investigate that part of the city in real detail or make it make it feel very characterful and make it feel like a real place in ways that really really dazzle you and constantly made me think why on earth did they try and get this running on a ps4 and xbox one like just right. foolhardy it's so it's it's such a spectacle and then as an immersive sim it's also flawed it's not very good at telling you when you should add powers it's not very good at using the critical path to give you new powers that make meaningful differences to the way you play the game you can play each level in sort of stealth or like going all guns blazing if you want i would say the game the the game's pretty well calibrated for stealth but it doesn't give you it makes you go out of your way to get to turn it into an immersive sim i would say um as Mm. opposed to naturally being an immersive sim so it's but what i will say is despite all that it is more than the sum of its parts combined I found all of that just incredibly entertaining because there's not really one part of that game experience that drives the whole thing. It's like it's all experiential. It's all about being in this city and living the life of this character. And like that, collectively on that level, I think it's actually really successful. Like, um, mm. I don't think it like <laughs> I don't think it even has enough first person shooter levels for you to stop and think about its immersive sim credentials that much. I feel like I counted maybe maybe six like proper yeah. levels in it it's not many in it really um and yet that's that represents 20 hours of game but that's because they're pinging you through loads of for, through like 
story bits or exploring or whatever it might be. So, yeah, those are my sort of like base thoughts, Matthew. What do you think? Yeah, I think that sort of sounds like vaguely similar to how I felt about it in that, you know, I went back and reread my review of this and the second you think about it, it does break down into all its kind of constituent parts in a way which suggests they it, they never quite nailed like what the whole was meant to be. It's interesting you said Call of Duty in there. Like I th- I actually think the main campaign is probably closer to a Call of Duty campaign than it is anything else. Mm. It is so scripted and cinematic that actually the character you bring in, the mechanical character, I don't really think makes any difference. Like if this game wants you to have a bit where you're shooting robots climbing up the bonnet of your car, it doesn't matter if you had a stealth build, you'll have an amazing gun that's capable of doing that set piece. Like this game always gives you the tools you need regardless of what you bring in. In the actual central storyline, I think there's only really two or three scenes where you really get a big area where you get to choose to play stealth or go in loud. Otherwise, you really are doing it by by the game's rules. And it's stealth. It's, it's very scripted stealth, you know, in, in the central campaign anyway, in a way like all gillied up or whatever. It's kind of, you shoot this guy in the head and I'll shoot that guy in the head. And it doesn't really matter about your stats because they've gamed it so that it looks impressive and it works. And I actually don't have a problem with it. Like that's that's probably my favourite mode of cyberpunk because that's the incredibly shiny mode. That's where like all the money's gone. That's where the crazy like set design, the amazing like motion capture and the characters, that's where all the story stuff is. And I think the space where like the mechanical V you've built, the kind of the more kind of Deus Exy side of it of like which body parts have you assigned and which perks you've unlocked are kind of more in the open world content. There's there's like a big sideline of story called, I think they're called gigs, which aren't really story content. It's kind of, you know, 20 or so buildings that you'll basically have to go in and steal something or rescue someone or kill all the guards inside. And those are very like approach from whichever direction using the unique builds you have. But I found those very unsatisfying because you really feel the absence of story and script and and that kind of like authored hand on it and it's it feels very flat by comparison so it's it's a quite a strange game where actually like the less ambitious it is i think the more successful it is yeah i can sort of see that to be honest um it's a weird one because i feel like the game it's weird to be in a world where everyone's talking about these different augmentations they've got and like you know things they've had grafted onto them or whatever and then the main story, I think, gave me like one or two of those. And then I got to the end of the game, had a spare 30k um, in my pocket and thought, well, I'll go to the Ripper dock and see what I can afford. And the answer was not much. That got me like one pretty good ability, which was to basically have like um, a super jump to hop me right. over places quite. And that's that's really fun because the city is quite nicely built for um, letting you explore that way. So that was good. But otherwise, I had loads of loads of empty slots. And I was at the end of the campaign. I thought this is really strange. It's like, a, like a you know, a game where you're meant to customize your ultimate V. That's at least how they felt like they sold it to me. Yeah. Um, and yet it just w- isn't that game. What's that V for? Like, like, like I say that because the main missions they're sort of not designed to play themselves, but it's very, very hard to like lose lose those missions. I found anyway that yeah, you get to the end and like you've maybe made a dent on like ten percent of the. The, the skill tree you haven't really explored any of it in detail and you're like what what's the super v you could potentially build like actually for other than doing this very unimportant 
like side material you know i I think the art of a very skill-led rpg like this is that you never want it to be so unbalanced that you're having to grind in menial tasks to be powerful enough to do the central storyline but this is like the exact opposite this is like it literally doesn't matter like anyone can anyone can you know basically complete the hardest content in the game you know anyone can complete the hardest feat in the game or what the story calls the hardest feat you know you can save the day and take on the huge corporation or whatever and then you're built to build this amazing v who, who just exists to like clear out garages and offices and things and you're like this is this is like very very odd though i've just found that pacing very very strange and it gives it the end like the end game of cyberpunk quite a weird aftertaste because you've done all this spectacular shit you know you've potentially gone to space and done all this zany bollocks up there and yet here you are kind of just sort of buying cars to drive to nowhere and (laughs) buying upgrades for missions that don't exist and i i I just i i felt like they'd really like blown that side of the game i think it's weird because it does have some really good side missions in it but those side missions are tied to characters and like there's a a a massive delineation between like you say gigs and those side missions and Mm. so once you've used up those side missions tied to those different narrative characters um it's not like there's necessarily like a deep a deep pool of them um, to go out and f- to f- go out and find and enjoy, and so mm. yeah, I do. I can definitely see how you would end up with like a, 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 an empty world of just you know more gigs to go and tick off. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is a kind of that is a strange thing. It's it's quite a, it's quite a risky thing they do. Where really those side character stories should probably just be in the main campaign, um, and to call them side character side quests is a bit strange because they are all characters you meet in the story, um, and so to like to like calling them off specifically is a bit of an odd choice i think because they are so tied to that main story i guess maybe that's part of the rpg we want you to forge your own path sort of element to it but i don't necessarily think it matters that much but it takes a risk in being like here's a main story that's about 20 hours long and then there's about 20 more hours of sort of meaningful stuff to go get and then there's like a big a map of just other things to get and do um mm. Yeah, it's a strange one. Despite that, I still really like it. It is a great place to sort of explore and be in. I didn't necessarily think it was at first. I thought, this is actually quite a small city. Will I get kind of bored of these different areas? But at the best, the little, um, the sort of most dense sort of hot spots of the city feel like walking around the um, the hubs in Deus Ex Mankind Divided, for example, except there are loads of them and they are rendered in such to such a scale and in such detail um, and feel so alive uh, that I really like that about it. That doesn't apply to like the entire map. There's definitely there's massive dead spots in that map for sure. But <laughs> yeah. every now and then, I would forget I was driving around a fictional city, and then just look up and see something flying overhead, or like a Blade Runner esque um, sort of like you know big uh, sort of brutalist structure in like the mist in front of me and stuff. And I was like, oh wow, this is it's quite a quite a thing, um, Night City. Yeah. It is quite the place to be in. Yeah, it's it's odd. It has a, the game has like a strange relationship with height in in that there was no flight in the city. You can't like just fly around it and take a look up there. You know, it's it's all you know. You're always kind of craning your neck to look up, and the skyscrapers are sort of more there for like effect than any you know purpose in terms of 
you don't have like any huge interaction with them you know occasionally like a mission will take you in and like some of my favorite moments are when you um, a mission does take you into one of those buildings and suddenly you're at the top of the city looking down on it and there's i can't remember the name of it but there's the region which is a bit like hollywood hills i guess where there's always luxury mansions kind of slightly removed but up on a hill there's like a monastery there as well and but they're always great big glass monstrosities where you can explore there and there the kind of city becomes this background and I, I think one thing it does do very well is like it's almost built this amazing place sort of as a backdrop like you, you know the, the stuff where you're outside the city in the badlands or like I say these houses you kind of appreciate it being there because it, it gives like the horizon this amazing quality I just I just don't know if there's much sort of meaningful interaction with it or as much meaningful interaction with it like when you're actually in the city I don't know. Do I agree with that? I, I sort of like. I certainly felt like I had reasons to sort of be there, but like I suppose like because key story characters are fixed to specific places, so you'll go to the same few places over and over again. Yeah. In some cases, um, but like, uh, and I suppose like when I would go to like Japan Town, I wouldn't necessarily do anything. I think I just kind of like look around and maybe I go search for like one of those crates that's got some stuff in it. But I suppose right. that I suppose yeah, like I suppose like the quest. Do the quest develop? make you develop meaningful relationships with your environment maybe not like i i think about a great side quest in um deus ex mankind divided is when you find like a body in an alley and then have to go investigating around the city over like who did it and why they did it and stuff and um that's really Mm. good when a game's that small scale in terms of like those those were not massive hubs you can build that very intimate relationship with your surroundings i think night city might just be too big too damn big to actually build that kind of relationship with it which I don't know. I suppose, like, but that's okay, I think, because yeah, that's what, like, playing GTA Five is like. You know what I mean? I don't go to GTA Five and get feel fondly about a specific place that, you know, that I, yeah, that I like. That's but, true. But, but, but then there are, G- there are, like, Rockstar games where I do. Like, in GTA Four, I, d- I had more of that connection with my surroundings. So, I don't know. I think it's a fair criticism, but, I, yeah, I suppose it's not the be-all and end-all, you know? The stuff I remember is mostly, like, interiors and you know you get to spend a lot of time going into these places and maybe that gives you this not illusion but like makes you think about oh this is a world with with like an interior life you know you can go into all these places and wow imagine what the rest of this place is like and even though you don't actually get to go in any of them it's it's certainly like evocative in in that sense you know like i i just don't know if it you know maybe this is just a base crude point like there's not a lot of like outdoor or like travel based missions in the game there's not a lot which which make use of the kind of size of that city you know there's a few kind of bits where you shoot people as you're driving along roads and there's like four racing missions which is kind of hilarious for a city this big (laughs) that it has literally four races in it um like that's that's you know that's somewhere where like those races are full of story content which makes them obviously a lot harder to make and like the cost of them but then you're like well once you've done them there's no racing to be done and (laughs) you're potentially buying a fleet of 50 cars and there's nothing to do with them other than drive around and maybe that just speaks to my lack of imagination that just driving around maybe i need more than that you know Mm. you know where where they sort of did did and didn't pump time and money to fill this open world is quite an interesting thing to me yeah there's also the sense that i mean you know i guess i'm assuming a lot about game development here 
But in theory, I would think that building a new, adding some new races to the game wouldn't be that strenuous in terms of like creating content, right? You just, <laughs> I, I would assume not, you know, compared to like designing a level that has enemies in it. If you're just saying point A to B and then you've already built car AI that knows how to pathfind, surely it's not the, not the hardest thing in the world to add to the game if they wanted to, you know, shore it up a little bit. So I think that's a fair point. Like it's, it's funny how it almost grades its own content so you as a player know that it's less meaningful like the gigs have um do have some story content attached to it but they are all like those shards which are basically codexes that give you information on what just happened um and i didn't read any of them to be honest matthew because that's not not why i was playing cyberpunk um to to, to read <laughs> a bunch there, of text there's so much writing in this game and it's buried in so many boring text files like that um <laughs> it just speaks to me of like you know you had a writing team on this and it ended they ended up making the game for 10 years and they just wrote so much shit that like every random fight you have someone will pretty much drop something telling you like why they were in that place but (laughs) that just that just isn't like interesting storytelling or world building if you just kill five generic hoodlums and then there's some things saying they were there for a drug deal and then you go into the next alley and kill five generic hoodlums and they drop something saying you know they were there to get a case of money or something it just like it, it just seems so it's like so arbitrary you can really like feel the the pain of different departments in this game <laughs> yeah uh, there's also like um the the, the thing i i never quite understood from the marketing was they were definitely selling it as oh yeah you were like it's you forging your story in this city and like the game is not about that it's about you think you're going to do that then one thing happens to you that means you have to go to one corporation to resolve what's happened to you and then you know you'll get to the end of that and then there'll be like several different outcomes depending on how many side quests you finished um, in terms of like endings you can unlock and like that journey is quite different to the one i think they were they were maybe selling um with it and i don't mind that because i think the story is quite concentrated it has an intent to it it has momentum it reaches that conclusion and as discussed is beautifully presented i would say that one of the strange things about this game is the reason they're kind of like uh the jankier bits stand out is because the polish on characters speaking to you in first person without any loading screens and shit is fucking amazing in this game and you will continually encounter that sort of like that sort of thing and doing that kind of like um you know painstakingly hand done animation like that's like a massive amount of work they put into it um mm. so i never i never like lost my appreciation for that but yeah i suppose like i ended up feeling like it was i was slightly at odds with what i thought the premise of the game actually was by the end of it i thought oh this is this what you made was a kind of a character driven uh, sort of like a to b plot uh, storyline um, that's kind of disguised as an RPG, you know? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. I think that's fair. Or, like, I just wonder if it started off with this broad RPG aim and, you know, the stuff they fell in love with was actually this, like, character-driven stuff and, and stuff outside of you as a character. Like, you rarely feel like the most important person in that world, which is kind of a what a lot of RPGs are about. You know, you are the whatever, you know, king of the universe commander shepherd saving everyone you know here you're kind of interacting with people who are a lot more important or a lot more powerful you know you've got someone a lot more important and powerful kind of inside you and um you know again i i I don't really have a problem with that i think they i think they honed in on the right stuff you know like i i i wouldn't want less of that 
to have a character who can express themselves a bit more. Like I, I, I wouldn't. That isn't a, a, a swap I would take. I wonder if they kind of like got to the point where they had sort of worked out what they wanted to do, and then just realised how much harder it was to make that than, than making another Witcher, for example. Because there's so much in this game that they would have had to completely learn how to do from scratch. You know, from first person combat to those lavishly presented cutscenes in first person like driving around to building an open world city as opposed to you know a sort of an open fantasy landscape like what a massive flip that is in terms of like the expertise you need to actually do all that shit um mm. must have seemed so so challenging to them i could see why even five years wasn't enough for them to like basically finish this game um just mm. it, it's even 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 when it doesn't feel like uh it's like you know as strong as an rpg as it could be it still feels like they've set the canvas so broad in terms of everything they wanted to pack into the game um so yeah it's strange it's both like massive in scope but also weirdly limited at the same time it's a strange strange game um yeah. i will say though that it's, it's renewed popularity seems obvious to me that like the lack of big blockbuster games means that a fixed version of this has been you know found it easy to slide into the calendar this year and like take up people's time when they're waiting for like God of War or whatever. Um, I think mm. like something that well, first of all, I've been playing the PS5 version. Looks really really nice. That yeah, so I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that because like I've dipped back in on PC and it kind of looks largely how I remember it looking. Um, maybe like less chuggy in places because it's got all that where the DSS you know version 5000 that now oh, yeah. makes everything smooth but like yeah I, you know not to butt in but how how is the how is how is it looking on on ps5 it looks nice i couldn't like um i was messing with the hdr settings a lot to try and get like keanu reeves to look less pale i just couldn't quite <laughs> get it like in some lighting keanu reeves looks really weird in this game and then in some lighting lower lighting he looks amazing and i found that kind of strange like sometimes there's this stark light with how cyberpunk is like um is portrayed that makes a lot of the character models look a bit weird or a bit bit too synthetic a bit too you know inhuman um right but then like maybe at maybe it is just at night time the game really comes alive um and a lot of those characters look a lot better so that was kind of that was kind of strange it, it largely tallied with my I look better at night as well <laughs> Just so, like lighting turned down to like ten percent and like in a oh, corner. Oh yeah, that's perfect. That's like that's my dream. That's why I've, my house is like all dimmer switches all the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just try to give yourself sort of cheekbones and you know sort of like uh, yeah, yeah, bit of uh, makes me a very easy end of level boss in a Splinter Cell game. <laughs> um, but you know, I get to have a bit of self respect at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. A bit like Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. It's like whoa. <laughs> yeah, that's... Don't turn the light up too high and I look fine. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, if you turn it up too high, I'm Marlon Brando in the island of Dr. Morrow. <laughs> <laughs> now that is, that's too harsh in yourself, I think. Like, uh, I think both of us are approximate an Apocalypse Now thing. I will say, whenever I like watch the documentary about that or read about that making of that film, they're like, oh, Marlon Brando turned up and he was really fat and I look at him. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's what I look like now. You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> yeah. just like not bold and not Colonel Kurtz. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, a good side note there. Um, it does look good. Yeah, it looks as good as I remember the PC version looking. But you've probably got fucking Catherine's like mega graphics cards in your house, haven't you? So the the game probably looks like hot as shit with uh, all that AI tech or whatever running. Um, yeah, even even then though, like I can remember playing it for review. I spent ages tinkering with it uh, when I first got to like V's apartment. 
inside that kind of tower block and i got it super buttery there was all this like ray tracing malarkey it was all going i was like this is apps this looks absolutely amazing <laughs> i'm gonna have such amazing screenshots for this i'm you know really really dead pleased with it uh and then the second i got out of that apartment block that's that's the first like choke point is when you go down to street level and there's suddenly npcs everywhere and it just was like oh god and you have to go in and like recalibrate i had to recalibrate that game so many times in so many different places like by the end it was like muscle memory of like what it needed to look like and you know i I could get the badlands looking rad as shit but if i was yeah driving around like inner city very bad news i i could have like ultra settings there's that area where there's just like it's like the suburbs with just like loads of white picket fence houses and like no missions. Yeah, yeah. I can drive around that place with maximum graphics for days, but it is not where the game is at its most exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's that is that is funny. Like um it's funny because that moment of walking out the the tower block is what I remember from like those behind closed doors presentations they did at E3. Yeah. Like the first one they did, where it does look like oh, you've never seen anything like this in a game. And it still looks really good in the main game, but not as good as it looked when they showed it off for the yeah, first time. And sure. it's definitely the first point I noticed in my old 1080 Ti that struggled a little bit out of the gate. It was like, ah, okay, this is, you know, we're, we're hitting the limitations here. It runs mostly fine on PS5, but yeah, it was like, because you have less flexibility over the graphic settings. It, there were times where it just it looked far worse than it did at other times. Um, right. But when it looked good, it looked really, really good. And that tended to be interiors tended to be yeah like i say um nighttime and then lighting kind of like bringing everything to life but in stark daylight it kind of everyone looked a little bit like a little bit more sort of thunderbirds puppet um i would Brando. say <laughs> so yeah it's um that, that's the that's the graphic setting full brando <laughs> i do think this is the other reason it's like so pervasively popular now right is they've been selling it dirt cheap for so long like this past weekend they were selling it 15 quid on Amazon for the PS4 version, and it gives you the PS5 version with no extra like um, nonsense attached to it. Although, as ever with these um, cross-gen versions, it will forever retain a fucking PS4 symbol on your home screen that you cannot get rid of, <laughs> which is like, oh, come on. Um, yeah, that's my big regret with uh, buying Horizon Zero uh, uh, Forbidden West on PS4 for the, <laughs> for the cheeky PS5 upgrade, is it's always like, oh, do you want me to install Forbidden West for the PS4 now? And I'm like, no, don't, no, never, never do that. <laughs> it's not something I would ever want. Why are you, why are you even asking me that? But yeah. always, it's like, now? Is it now the time? And you're like, no, no, you little fucker. <laughs> yeah, the same for Death Stranding, where it was like, oh, I have to like figure out where i have to go and find the update i've got for this to make it the director's <laughs> cut and like oh it's just yeah just like a slightly sort of like less slick than the uh the old xbox um xbox version but yeah um it does it also loads incredibly quickly just like the amount of city it's loading in like five seconds is is very impressive they've put some proper mm. effort into it as i said the thought of this running on the old 2013 fat Xbox One that was meant to... Don Matrix, like, TV DVR dream machine. Like, that just seems so incongruous to me. I can't see how this would ever run without looking like Lego, basically. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I appreciate them giving it a punt. So, yes. So, Matthew, I think that I strongly, like, recommend playing this. Um, we will have some more specific... Uh, story observation stuff that we'll we'll talk about after the break and um, we'll go into that a little bit more because I had some thoughts on that after finishing it. I've still got a bunch of side quests to go but 
I would say that everyone should play this. And yes, I think that in this year of that was a bit quieter for blockbusters, this did scratch the itch that I kind of like I kind of needed. Um, this is not really another game like this. Here's the other thing I liked about it as an open world game, right? Is it reminded me of older GTAs, like the experience, the inner city GTA experience. You know what I mean? Like the, mm. the you get in like little bits in. Um, uh, GTA 5 but that is mostly about the grand sweep right but like it reminded me of like playing like GTA 3 or playing um uh you know playing GTA 4 it just yeah it just it just has that feeling that kind of slightly New Yorky feeling except every now and then you'll look up and see you know bright lights flying shit and all these kind of like weird characters and be like oh yeah I'm in this kind of like made up sci-fi world but it's so richly presented you know um mm. yeah I rate it Matthew so well, yeah. it's good. I'm glad it was a rewarding experience for you. Yeah, it's good. Uh, shame that we're about 50 minutes in and I've ran out of uh, observations, isn't it? So let's talk about something else. <laughs> so um, uh, this Phantom Liberty, the first DLC, is coming to the game in 2023, more than two years after the original release, which seems ridiculous for like a, a DLC, but, you know, games take ages now and they have been fixing it. Um, v seems to be working for the United States government, Matthew. Do you think we can assume this is a side story to the main game? As in, like, you go and finish it before you finish the main story. Um, are you excited about playing this? Only on, on on the basis that I think they have tremendous previous form of DLC. I mean, I think the DLC for The Witcher 3 is some of my favourite DLC of all time. Probably is my favourite. I think, um, yeah, both the expansion, you know, Blood and Wine, like that was a whole new area. Obviously, that was thrilling, um, to, you know, because I felt like I had sort of exhausted the huge continent of The Witcher 3 by the time that came along. But even um, uh, Hearts of Stone, you know, that just sort of embedded missions in areas which weren't well populated before. And like, there's a lot of that real estate in Night City. Like when, when I was um, mopping up stuff in the game, uh, after I'd done the kind of like all the central missions and the kind of story side missions, there were so many interesting places I kept finding. Thinking, did I make a wrong decision and just not find a mission there? Like, would I would another decision have taken me there? Because it looks so crafted as an area. Like, there's there's you know, especially around some of the other companies, there are kind of like big gleaming office buildings with just a little bit too much detail to be there for nothing but you know and then once the game was out and everyone had like strip mined it completely with seo guides you know you could go in and see like oh no i really did see everything there was nothing there so it it, it always felt like a third of the city was waiting for its missions to turn up mm. which i would imagine is what this is going to be i mean my big failed prediction in uh, I can't remember if it was 2021 predictions or 2022 predictions. Was 21, that, I think, yeah. 2021 predictions was that the DLC was going to be set on a space casino, um, <laughs> which is involved in, in one of the endings of the game. Hmm. Um, it just felt like such an obvious self-contained area. And that particular ending of the story seemed to set itself off of, like, you know, you're heading towards this place and what's going to happen. So, yeah, I was surprised. Also surprised that Keanu Reeves is in it. You know, you would have felt like that, you know... That was just all done, you know, years ago, and there wasn't space for more. Yeah, my theory there is they recorded it at the same time um, because they had so so long to work on this game. It's, it wouldn't be surprising to me if they had the overall plan for like what the game was, and then like, the story they just recorded while they had him. Um, uh. It's possibly did more recording for it, but like. Well, yeah. Or they recorded so much with him, they could stitch together any sentence from his previous words. <laughs> so this DLC is like, oh, Johnny's glitching out a bit. And then he's like, hey, let's go to the bar and talk to the cool guys. And you're like, mm, this yeah. doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, V, on the phone, it's the 
President of the United States. Kind of like... Yeah, I sort of like I got the impression from what they showed that it, it was maybe a different setting as well. But I would prefer them to be like, oh yeah, this is also stuff that's in Night City because, yeah, I don't feel like the landscape is used up. It's quite weird because it's easy to get quite bored of an open world game if you've spent a hundred hours pottering around in it. This is like the opposite problem where I feel like it could stand to have more stuff in it, and then I, I would be happy yeah. to spend more time there because the vibes are good. Um, there you go, Matthew. The old vibes. But all, the, wanna... all the DLC was stuff that was just in the game that they cut. <laughs> So oh, that's uh, why Keanu Reeves is in it. Oh no, I, I doubt that. I doubt it. Just it seems too big, and I don't know. It does seem themed around one specific thing. I guess we'll find out, won't we? But um, yeah, it's yeah. I guess you. Yeah, if if the game had taken this huge detour, given that it has this like ticking clock scenario of you know having Keanu Reeves inside you is kind of killing you, it would be a bit mad if you went off and had a hilarious ten hour jaunt with him. Um, I just felt like in the main story of of cyberpunk proper it was really nicely paced and it kind of jumped it felt like it did jump i was suddenly in the end at the end of it like way before i was expecting to be which is why i maybe wondered if if something something was amiss at some point but Mm. well i have some uh, some more thoughts on what the story does well or not well that we'll get into the next section but um yeah this is the only dlc they're doing as well which is quite interesting isn't it because one of the reasons the witcher would just keep selling forever it's because they made two DLCs for it. One very good, apparently, then one that was excellent that people celebrate widely. Um, so, you know, this only getting one is interesting. It makes me wonder, is this just because the game's really hard to develop for? Or do they just want to move on and, you know, get working mm. on the sequel that they've actually announced now? Um, Something I loved about the, the Witcher 3 Blood and Wine expansion is there was a big storyline in it about um, Geralt taking over a vineyard and running a vineyard. Um, I just love it if that became like a company trope, and that's also what happens in the cyberpunk <laughs> DLC, like you and Johnny just setting up a kind of cool, I don't know, craft beer company or something. <laughs> I like the idea if you could like um, sort of infiltrate the ranks of one of these mega corps and take them over by like murdering the CEO, and then it's like kind of management sim as uh, also bolted onto this open world immersive sim FBS RPG. <laughs> um, <laughs> they should bring the in the. In they should bring in the orc system from Shadow of Mordor <laughs> for like all the corporate structure. So you can just focus on, you can either play the game or you can focus on taking over the city by climbing the power ladder. That would be amazing. Yeah, it could be good. And uh, still less bleak than uh, working at actual Twitter right now. Um, still less dystopian <laughs> somehow. Um, so yes, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that pans out, Matthew. How are you feeling about the proposed Cyberpunk sequel then, codenamed Orion? I find it quite interesting that a bunch of CD Projekt devs are actually moving to America um, to found like uh, basically their studios there and build this game. So I take from that that this is at least like four or five years away. Um, I'll be a very hmm. old man by the time I'm playing this. Um, <laughs> what do you make of this? Do you think uh, is a sequel something that's assigned to you? Do you think building on the ideas of this is good? By the time this comes out, you're going to have to be downloading yourself into a younger gamer's body like Johnny Silverhand in order to enjoy it. <laughs> good that's, that's, that's my prediction what will you be doing at that t- at that point well we both will we both will <laughs> and some good. youngster will be like oh no what's going on imagine that whole scene except it's you or me instead of Keanu Reeves in a junkyard <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I suppose that, that is like a question to ask you what do you think of Keanu in this I actually forgot he was in the game until yeah. I got to the bit where he turned up and I was like oh yeah I thought it was, Keanu's like a whole part of this I, yeah, yeah. I actually think he's he's kind of bad in this game. 
compared to like every other professional voice actor. I like Keanu Reeves in films perfectly fine. I think he's got a very, you know, well, he has got you know, not a very limited register. I just felt everyone else in it was so alive and the, the, the spotlight is so hogged by him being at this huge celebrity. It's kind of a shame. Like everyone else is just doing what their day job is and like absolutely knocking it out of the park. Like there's some, you know, we'll talk about this in, in, in the second section, but one of the things I think this game does do really well is, is create like this really sort of empathetic cast of characters who, who several of them are just so likeable and they really give you a foothold in this world. I, I find him so stilted by comparison. You know, there is such a craft to, to doing voice work and I just don't think you can just put a, any celeb in and just expect it to work. I sort of, I could picture him in the booth by himself. That's what I could picture when yeah. I was hearing him talk. Um, like I could feel him not interacting with other people. Maybe he did it with other voice actors, but um, it kind of yeah. had the energy of like, you're running a mag and then you've hired this asshole staff writer who just like drags you down by like talking about the things you're doing wrong and stuff. And you're like, oh, can you just shut up a minute, mate? Like there's a, yeah. a little bit of that to him, but yeah. There's, I feel... With the films he's successful and why he's having a bit of renaissance now is that people are like very good at building things around his incredibly limited specific like persona. He's not a good actor. He does not have any range. That isn't to slam him. Like as long as you find the right project for him, he's gold. You know, like John Wick is absolutely perfect for what his skill points are. But like if if you put him in, you know, like if you rewatch, if you watch the new Bill and Ted, like he's even more limited than he was when he was younger. Like he's terrible in that film. He's completely lost whatever kind of comic voice he he once had. I felt. Yeah, this game. Like if there's any moment he actually has to do some kind of acting i think it completely falls apart there's did you do the side mission you're like play acting is like film noir gumshoes no i haven't done that one yet is it good oh it's so it's you know the joke is you're basically i think you're spying on like a woman who's having an affair or something you get hired to do this kind of like sort of 1930s style kind of yeah keanu reeves is doing this kind of like hard-boiled dialogue but he just can't sell it at all it's it's really bad i don't think he has a full grip on silverhand to begin with but silverhand trying to do like a comedy character himself i was like yikes this is just other voice actors must be like fuck this guy trying to get in on our turf you know <laughs> well it's tough because he does undeniably add star power to it like you you see him every now and then you're like oh yeah that is fucking keanu reeves just in this game you know that is quite exciting that is novel that is novel at the very least you know yeah for, for sure i just think that there's i think there's some like like genuinely outstanding voice work in this game and i like shamefully i couldn't tell you who the actors were you know i couldn't tell you who voiced judy say but i think she's an amazing character Pan Am as well yeah you know and the two i think both of these as well are, are like you know that they do you know so much you know they they convey so much without you being able to see them like that's the hardest role in the whole thing and it's just uh it's just a shame that we get like wowed so easily by things like keone reeves although it is impressive and it probably would be a lesser game if it was just some like complete rando yeah um, it would be really i would say it'd be really hard to get right if it was some rando um because yeah. it's someone who has to interrupt you constantly and so if that person happens to be one of the you know probably like what 20 most famous people on the planet it's like yeah, that that just it just hits different, as the kids say. Matthew, is, is there any other actor you would cast as Johnny Silverhand? Oh, that's a good question. Oh dear, that's like a very specific energy. I would love like basically seventies Dennis Hopper, also talking about Apocalypse <laughs> now, just like 
a kind of like mad unhinged that very unhinged energy that he has like uh just talking really fast man jolly silverhand man that kind of thing like i think that i could i, w- I could go for like a game of dennis hopper just see how it shakes out um blue velvet jolly ha- jolly uh silverhand um yeah that's a very scary voice down in your head uh, yeah i don't know i suppose he'd go for like an actual real rock star do i care like who would you pick for that like someone like chris cornell when he was alive i don't know you don't want someone like, like fucking lemmy doing it do you, do you? um rod stewart <laughs> yeah what about jack black <laughs> <laughs> very different energy hey man it's me it's johnny Superman. <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh man this has got a very different energy they're like we should have gone with keanu reeves yeah oh. as, yeah it's in, in some ways, I think he is like he is very right for it. Um, yeah, maybe he is perfect. Yeah, maybe, it, maybe yeah. this exercise has proven how perfect uh, Keanu Reeves is. What? Because we read out Dennis Hopper and Jack Black, then gave up immediately, <laughs> and then gave up. Yeah. Uh, now we can workshop this some more. Who else would what be like Jared Leto? <laughs> well, m- maybe that would work because I think what is what does kind of work about Keanu is he he his presence registers, but he is slightly innocuous just as a man. And therefore, mm. he doesn't kind of like knock you off too much tonally. Like he is just sort of um, his voice, sort of yeah. It, it's not a it's it doesn't like you say it doesn't have loads of range to it. So he can't ever be that offensive. And I think Jared Leto would have a similar effect, um, <laughs> depending on if he would go into like full kind of like morbid mode or fucking I don't know. Like his asshole character in Panic Room would be a bit too much. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Lost to think about there, Matthew. Uh, Matt LeBlanc, you know, just like how you doing? I'm Johnny Silverhand. Uh, <laughs> what about Matthew McConaughey? Uh, that could be quite good, actually. Unless he's too chilled. I, I'm trying to think of people who've got a bit of like, like what's interesting about the characters? They need to be a little old, you know. They're, you know, I know they've been dead, so they haven't aged, but they are from the past of the world. Like they're meant to feel like of a different generation to the rest of Night City. Yeah. I suppose so. But then McConaughey could work quite well for that because just old and grizzled enough, right? He'd be like, hey, man. Like, <laughs> that's Bill Clinton, I think. <laughs> no, no city, man. No city, man. <laughs> but that, he's, he's probably too chilled. Like, he hasn't got the rage of, you know, he doesn't strike you as a man who would, like, nuke a skyscraper. No. That is quite. He'd just be like, let's just work it all out, man. <laughs> That's such a good detail of Johnny Silverhand's story, by the way, because I'm in my head. I'm like, what the fuck does nuking a skyscraper look like? I couldn't quite, couldn't you? Can't you kind of half see it? And then I was there thinking, what did they clean it up afterwards? What, like, what, what happened exactly? What happens if you let off two nukes in a skyscraper? Um, but yeah, maybe Keanu is perfect. Maybe we have. Maybe. If it was Troy Baker, it'd be like um, oh. the Bioshock Infinite Part Two, where you've got like um, Booker Dewitt talking to you, and that's you, you have enough of that after three or four hours, I would say. Uh, good. Well, yeah. fucking went down a long road here, didn't we? Um, so yeah, Cyberpunk sequel, Matthew. Do, do, you, do you care about that? Do you think there's unrealized potential here? Given it was a long, you get the idea of slightly, slightly troubled development, or at least them taking a long time to find what makes this world tick. Being able to go into that with that knowledge can only be a good thing. Like, if anything, this is the kind of sequel I am up for because there's so much room for improvement in my mind you know this isn't like a clean 10 you're trying to make a very easy sequel this isn't like a the smooth transition from god of war into ragnarok you know yeah you could make a substantially better game that still kind of has the magic from this that does work and that's that's super exciting to me 
Yeah, for sure. There's a good a good basis here. I could even think they could shift genres slightly, make it more RPG or less RPG, and just see how that goes. You know, um, yeah, yeah. So I'm with you on that. This game will be a long way away, and I think so I think CD Projekt thinks it's going to have like three Witcher RPGs out in like four years or something. So <laughs> there's that to happen first. Um, mm. But in theory, a Cyberpunk sequel will will follow. Uh, did you try Edge Runners, Matthew? The the cyberpunk anime that seems responsible for a lot of this um, new goodwill towards the game. I I watched one episode and I kind of watched it while I was uh, probably messaging you on Discord on my phone or something. So it, it left very it it didn't break through the phone layer of my <laughs> interest. Unfortunately, like whatever was going on, just wasn't wasn't particularly exciting enough. Um, yeah, I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you what it was about. I think there was a kid in it. <laughs> yeah, there's a kid in it who... Uh, what I liked about it is that... It, it, so it does authentically feel like part of the game's world. It uses, like, you know, a lot of the same sound effects and things like that. I think it was written by uh, one of the CD Projekt writers who wrote the um, like the, the comic book tie-ins as well. So, you know, definitely like feels like the real thing. And basically, yeah, there's this kid who is a bit of a ne'er-do-well. And then his, like, mum is basically shot dead by just some... By some random Night City gang... And then he like decides to basically just like um, start getting his body sort of augmented and you know quitting school and just be- trying to rise up in like Night City um, on his own terms and stuff. And I liked it because it, um, it actually made me think that oh maybe like a lot of the ideology of the different gangs and like how the city operates, the game doesn't do that good a job of portraying. They are kind of just like people with names who once you see they've got a criminal record you're like okay well i'll get out my fucking you know precision rifle and just start headshotting them without knowing anything more about who they are or what they've done whereas this this as a tv show is a bit more like considered about well here's this gang here's what they do here's what like these asshole rich kids are whose dad works for like you know arasaka the corporation in the game um yeah having said all that i didn't really think it was for me and I watched two episodes, and that was enough for me. But um, I do, I do feel good for all the kids out there who thought this was um, good enough for them to install a grandpa RPG like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven and see what the the big deal is. Um, as as tie in content goes, Matthew, it's, it's up there, I think. Um, mm. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's that basically. So yes, Matthew, should we take a quick break and then we'll talk a bit more about the story and how that plays out? A little bit more spoilery territory. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome back to the podcast. Matthew, I had a question for you, actually. Uh, mm. What was it? Oh, fucking hell, I've forgotten now. It's gone. Oh, shit. Oh, that's uh, a good start. Okay, I'll, I'll pivot. Are you enjoying God of War? Are you having a good time? <laughs> what an emergency pivot. <laughs> Just pulled out your back pocket. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I am having a good time. It's certainly more God of War. Yeah, it is. It's um, that's, that's my hot take. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I think, like, uh, yeah, having, like just finished 2018 and going straight into it it's a bit of like this does kind of feel like the same game except people are telling me where to go a lot more than they were previously yeah Um, and we all did you do the thing where you adjusted that option menu thinking it would make the puzzles harder and it was actually making them easier did you do that yeah i did do that yeah and uh, (laughs) i felt like such a clever clogs um but i didn't fucking know anything did i matthew castle i knew nothing at all yeah 
Yeah, okay, good. Well, I, I forgot what I was going to ask you about, so we'll just continue with the podcast. We're going to pivot back into Cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah, great. Seamless. Absolutely seamless. Um, I was curious, do you, what do you make of this as a setting, Matthew? Because for me, I felt like it being a pre-existing RPG setting gave it a real sense of like a lived-in quality. But at the same time, it maybe didn't explain the fiction well enough for me to understand what was really going on in the story. And I felt like that was a slight weakness of it what did you make of cyberpunk as a setting for an rpg slash whatever this is yeah i think like the part of the world you actually see is like quite limited you know you interact with a few things in like great detail but you maybe don't get like a a a general idea of like what life is like in this place i think one thing it does really well in fact one of my like favorite things about this game in general is that it and and i think this comes from it being this established world with this like established history there is this buzz throughout about like cred and reputation and like legends which i found very endearing and also gave me quite an important sort of foothold in that world of like i i sort of knew what these characters are about like right from the start I, I replayed the first few hours of this over the weekend and you know once you've done that very first mission with jackie in your car and you know, he's talking about all these characters who are like legendary characters from from the from the RPG lore. You know, the tabletop lore. You know, Adam Smasher and all this kind of stuff. And there's this sense of like, you know, this world is full of these amazing legends, and I really want to like become one of those. You know, that's what we all aspire to. Like, there's it has quite a that's quite a graspable idea and it kind of grounds quite nicely definitely that first act of the game but like where these characters are coming from that they've grown up in this world where there are these just massive names that are like all encompassing you know in terms of like you know whether they're like mercenaries or pop stars or a mix of the two like johnny silverhand you know this idea of like you too could be a legend like one of those guys i think that's that's like a really nice uh kind of like sort of dialogue with the world's law tell you what's quite funny actually is i went for a pint with um former pc gamer production editor tony ellis last week um oh yeah yeah and he um he told me about how like when he was a kid he spent his like pocket money on original cyberpunk the very first iteration of the tabletop of the whatever so the um pen and paper rpg um and he said oh it was crap so i never played the later versions it was just really boring it's like the the normal world but like just slightly in the future and there's just too much too many guns in it and stuff um i quite enjoyed that <laughs> but um i would say that like uh, just sort of um playing it and kind of like you say kind of like just feeling the sense that there are these figures who have defined it and then the game does a good job of this is where we get into slightly spoilery territory it gives you flashbacks to what like the city looked like 50 years ago um to give you a sense of how things have changed and how these figures can rise and fall and how corporations are just like immortal amidst all of that um no matter what Mm. happens like the the company always wins um that i think just works really really well where it translates to a weakness, Matthew, is early on in this game, right, the the big kind of twist that kicks things off is you go to this um, this big kind of fancy hotel, basically, to to steal something. Compeki Plaza, I think it's called. You go in to steal something. You meet Hideo Kojima. <laughs> oh, do you? Yeah, he's in the bar. Oh, right. The hotel. I didn't notice that. Fuck. That's a that's on me that is i think i can go back there which it, it makes no sense that i could just wander back into that bar after what happens in that game but i think you can yeah. um, all that all that after like a horrible heist in that building kajim would still be hanging out in the bar <laughs> he'd, he'd find a much safer bar i think yeah i i think so fuck I, I can't believe i missed that that's disappointing um that's good does he just appear in like other people's games now is that a thing he's doing um 
Will I play like, you know, fucking... Is he like one of the gods in God of War Ragnarok? Is he like... <laughs> I don't know, lesser known Norse god. Um, yeah, so... Uh, so yeah, this you go into this building. The, you, this heist gonna goes wrong. This emperor um, Saburo Arasaka, who is murdered while you are mid heist, basically, and it ends up getting pinned on you. And this kind of kicks off the story. You you are sort of like basically betrayed, and then you end up with Johnny Silverhand in your in your head to kick things off. I would say the game is not very good at explaining what the the significance of the corporations even are at this point, like what they are in the world who this emperor guy even is and why it matters when he dies. And and since that's mm. like the jumping off point for the entire story, Matthew, I found that a, like a little bit of a shortcoming. And I wondered if they just assumed too much knowledge from you about what this world is with that. Did you have any thoughts on that? Or am yeah. I going to be too granular there? I think they can safely assume that you'd be like, oh, future dystopia, the corporations are probably bad. Uh, you know, because that's very like easy shorthand. But the president of a company being killed and the kind of power play that follows. I mean, that they, I wouldn't say it like jumped out to me as like hugely baffling. Um, which life path did you play as? Nomad. Right. Well, I played as a corpo. So like you start in that, that world. Right, right. Which I, I wouldn't say like what you do there is particularly interesting or that it sets itself, you know, it basically, it's, it's like a half an hour vignette to show you that it's very dog eat dog shock horror. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, maybe that maybe that had like an an impact on it that I I was less sort of like what is this place? Who are these people? I think like the nomad one is sort of like you start in a desert, have a little chase, and then you're just in Night City, and then every now and then you'll just go, oh, I'm a nomad, and here's a here's my point of view of nomad stuff, and like that was <laughs> yeah. kind of what basically. It if to. anyone mentions cars, you're like, yeah, I like those too because I'm a nomad. <laughs> And you're like, this is powerfully underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sort of appreciate the the effort for that. But again, I think it speaks to the fact that this game's strength is not being an RPG, you know? Uh, or at least yeah. not a traditional RPG. It's like, it's not the same as picking an origin in Dragon Age Origins. No. Like, throughout the game, people would react to the fact that you are like a, basically an elf from a very poor part of a city or whatever. Like, the, the entire game would be built to cater to that. This is not that game. Um, no. So, yeah, that I found a little bit weak. But I would say that what worked for me is the overall fiction of the city and the sort of tone of the game did work for me on the level of, like, all the things I questioned about, like, about the tone of the game before it came out in terms of, like, the very, like, shock and awe marketing approach, which is what I felt like they used to try and get people's attention that sort of dissipated because I think the game totally justifies why everything is the way it is quite well. Like it makes this this world of disposable people feel very real. And like the characters in there are kind of like holding on to their humanity and still feel like real people in the midst of that. But they're, yeah. they're all so used to everything being fucked up. And that I think is a major world building triumph of Cyberpunk 2077. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think what what amazed me about this game and i think the the one bit of it which is actually like properly special is that it, you know it approached with such an obnoxious swagger you know and so many people kind of took to that and warmed to that you know i think that's where some of the kind of like toxicity of the conversation about it it's like fuck yeah this is the future you can do what you want you can be out as as outrageous as you want and in night city like all this fucking evil vile shit happens and yeah like we're really gonna like we're like a pig and shit in this horrible city and actually when you get there you realize it's like a load of people who are recognizably people 
just trying to kind of get by in this hellish place, kind of holding on to a bit of humanity. You know, it's weirdly like a really nostalgic game. Like there's there's loads of people who are constantly thinking back to something they had. I think the fact that you have this like ghost of the past living in your head who has this relationship with, you know, all his friends again spoiler territory but you know the the friends that he rolled with back in the day when he was a terrorist have survived and lived on and basically got on with their lives and given up the cause and i th- i think that stuff is actually like really brilliant like the the, the i don't know if you did the side missions with them or, or you know towards the end but when you like dig into his band friends and you basically try and like put things right with them mm. you know on johnny's behalf I was like, this is like, this is so far from how they sold this game. Like, this is, this is about people trying to be good or decent, counter to this wretched world, which I thought was a spectacularly good bit of storytelling. Yeah, for sure. I think that's um, that's a really good observation. There's a lot of people obsessed with the past or dwelling on the past. Like um, that extends to um, Pan Am, who has you know basically been excommunicated from the group she was in and like is now you know as part of the story against spoilers like loses someone from that group and then has these complicated feelings she's reckoning with or you know um judy who uh, loses someone in real time in the story in, in the story and get you get the sense that her life is quite lonely and sad as well um mm. like it's just yeah it, it it taps into that really well and then v herself sorry my character was female v but like um mm. basically like the whole story is about you know when you go to Compeki Plaza, Jackie, your companion, who I think the marketing made it feel like Jackie was going to be in the entire game um, as like a side character, kind of wisecracking, uh, basically dies, and then like um, you get to the end of the story, and then basically Johnny Silverhands and like Misty, this other character, and other characters saying to you, by working with this corporation, are you not betraying Jackie's memory? So everyone has something they're looking back on um mm. yeah it's true that's a really that's a really good observation matthew uh so yeah like thanks that, <laughs> well just that that kind of character focus side that is like strong that is what you associate with strong rpg storytelling it makes you think of like loyalty missions in mass effect 2 right where it's like mm. you know it's a great self-contained story in itself and it sheds loads of light on this character who i'm kind of emotionally invested in and that's that's something they yeah. do really well that's where the R- rpg heritage copies over nicely the thing i would say though like in mass effect though as a genre piece it's part of a much more like noble sci-fi tradition you know it's more star trek where you expect to find people who you're going to respect and spend time with like you go into that world expecting to to like people and to earn the respect of people who don't know you and to like you know live up to the expectations of the people who look up to you you know that's that's all kind of par for the course in quite optimistic space adventuring well i think here because they sold it as such a sort of like nihilistic world Mm. it's like a much bigger shock that there are there's so many likable people in it I thought this was going to be like Borderlands. I thought that was going to be the tone right, where yeah. everyone is just like a shrieking lunatic and it's really knowing and shrill and sarcastic and dripping with irony. And, you know, I thought it was going to be a really like hard hang. And actually, <laughs> I couldn't really name many people who you kind of spend a substantial amount of time with, definitely in those big story missions, who I was like, oh, fuck, this guy's really hard work. In fact, the one bit of that kind of, I was like, oh, that's a bit naff, is there's a, you find a talking gun in an alley 
which is a bit like the talking gun in Borderlands. And it, it is because it is just a Borderlands quest again. Right. And I was like, ugh. You know, but then at the same time, I thought, well, I thought it was all going to be this. And actually, this sort of like wisecracking hilarious gun. I thought it was going to be just 100 hours of wisecracking hilarious guns. Yeah. And it really isn't. Like, it's people feeling like lonely in a shack in the desert and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then every now and then, like, maybe not the talking guns case, but like one of the wackier side quests will actually really pay off. So. I wasn't massively into the idea of Delamain, which is the um, taxi firm in in Night City, which is run by like an AI. And basically you are tasked with um, basically uh, several of the, the cabs have broken away from the kind of main AI and basically formed their own personalities. And you have to go and retrieve the cabs. Um, and they each have very different personalities. And this is a really good example, I think, of a, of a side quest doing a lot with a little. All you're really doing is going to fetch some cars, of which there are fucking loads in Night City. So yeah. it's not a big deal. But because they put so much effort into the writing and then the voice acting of bringing those different versions of this like quirky AI to life. A quirky AI who I thought, well, yeah, fucking, I've seen Total Recall or whatever. I'm not bothered about this. And then, I don't know, just finds finds depth in it. And then your character mm. builds this relationship with this ta- this taxi AI. Like that's that sort of stuff just really worked for me. Um, showed mm. a, show kind of like that it can have a fun side and 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 really succeed on its own terms in that respect too. God, what a complicated old game this is! What a strange game this is! Um, yeah, really weird. There's a lot of stuff in it which I think is quite like The Witcher, particularly in those character beats. You know, I think when people talk about The Witcher, you know, they often think about like the bloody baron like a really bleak quest where there's like no happy endings and it's like a real moral quandary but those games were also really good at great hangs you know like uh hearts of stone the dlc had the famous dead man's party where uh actually in quite a cyberpunky twist like Geralt is is like possessed by the spirit of a of a ghost um and is basically trying to show this ghost like one one last good time by going to this party and he, he kind of has to live he has to let the ghost kind of take control of his body, which is something that happens here a couple of times to Johnny Silverhand as well. Uh, and there's the comedy of seeing like Geralt act as someone else and deliver like very different line readings to the to the traditional character. But there's also the kind of sort of sadness of this quite wild, obnoxious character who kind of reveals, you know, throughout the course of that mission the kind of you know tragedy of their life or kind of how unloved they are and actually by showing them this one last good time you're actually doing a really good thing it's it's actually like a very sincere thing and i think there's a lot of those arcs here as well where you meet quite cold callous people who are revealed to be quite sincere sort of softies underneath it Mm. which you know maybe that speaks to me because i'm quite a sentimental person I will always buy into characters are revealed to be a bit warmer <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a narrative arc. Uh, that's like, you know, I just reviewed Pentiment, and there's a lot of that in that as well, <laughs> where there's always like miserable fucking monks who turn out to be like a bit of a laugh or whatever, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, this is all right. <laughs> you know, that's that's just such an easy way to get me on board. Um, Pentiment or your trip to Bruges, Matthew. Um, it's <laughs> indistinguishable, the uh, fun-loving monks. Um, I tell you what, reviewing Pentiment in Bruges, where like there is all this talk of like Flemish history and Pentiment, right. and I was thinking like I wonder if anyone else is reviewing this like in where this game is sort of set, <laughs> you know? Um, oh, so that's yeah, what I you're went, actually. Like, I went full method for that review. <laughs> we play on Steam Deck there. 
Yeah, I did, yeah. Oh, fuck, reviewing a game on Steam there. That's that's a nice thought, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I reviewed it. I was wrapped up in a uh, like a nice blanket on a couch in our little hotel suite. I had a mini bar of complimentary Fanta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the dream, the Matthew Castle dream. Uh, yeah. I, I thought I don't even know that they gave out review code these days. I thought they just went, ah, yeah, it's on Game Pass, like, go play it. Um, but that's, that's cool. Um, yeah. uh, um, hashtag pump for Pentiment. Um, yeah, um, but I, I don't, I don't want to derail this into a Pentiment. No, 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 that's, that's fine. But yeah, I, I take your point about you know warmer character arcs being easy to sort of like, but the, doing them well still requires great execution, and you, you absolutely oh, get yeah. that here. Um, I will also confess, Matthew, that I've not finished every major side quest in this game. I've still got that to go. Surprisingly, for the listeners, or unsurprisingly, um, you can't finish the entire God of War series and then do everything in Cyberpunk in the space of about two weeks. That's like not doable. <laughs> so um, I basically just settled for like finishing the main story and doing some of the side quests. So I'm excited to pick through some more of that side content for sure in the um, in the weeks after we've done our fucking game of the year research, which is my next big uh, project for this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, was there was there stuff outside Delamain that like did resonate with you or kind of got your attention? I guess like I did follow the um, the Judy side quest the most, and mm. I think it's quite funny the love interest in this game because there aren't many. I think is it two for the male v and then two for the female v yeah something like that and like i really like the character judy but there is almost like this market research like i spent a lot of time on instagram figuring out what this character should look like element to her where i feel like (laughs) she's so engineered to appeal to a specific type of what i would say like a video games player that exists like (laughs) right that's that's not me saying there's anything like wrong with the design i think i think like the character is is very like you know appealing for sure but i feel like she was very much engineered for a specific audience um this is definitely a game where like you know the love interests the second you see them yeah because there are just there are like there are just a couple of people in this world who are just so not not like like sexualized gorgeous but like they're just so like beautifully like nuanced in such a beautiful way and like yeah they're just presented in such a like warm and winning light they're built but it's kind yeah. of like a beam from heaven shining down on them of like <laughs> this is this is someone you all love yeah it's like yeah it's very it's very very true it was like like meeting pan am and it's like oh this is the character that's built to appeal to me i see i see how this works <laughs> and like yeah it's you know and i don't think there's anything cynical about that at all but yeah i do i just felt like I felt like the creator's hand at work when I met them. You know what I mean? I felt like these characters are are firmly designed to be, you know, for the for the player to like really engage with and really have affection for. They it helps that they have like three times as much detail on their face as a standard like Night City sort of like you know like yeah. dummy man. Um, <laughs> well, like yeah. the, the nearest NPC, like their heads probably like rotating three hundred and sixty degrees. <laughs> Which really isn't in their favour. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Are you, who are you going to go out with? Someone who's like half glitched through the pavement or this absolute like 4K mega babe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like a 4K uh, mega babe or PS3 era sex worker. But like pick, <laughs> choose your fighter kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I, I dug into her side quest a bit. I've got, like, I think I've got one more mission to do in that. And then I got, I think I did only the first one of Pan Am's side quests. And I haven't done any of that Johnny Silverhand stuff. I acknowledge that I've got like yeah, it's... a lot of it to go. That, that said, I feel like I can still talk about it with confidence after finishing the main game. You know? Oh yeah, for, uh, absolutely. Oh, that last Judy mission. I'm assuming you haven't done the mission with her with the dam. I think that's the last one. Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh yeah, that's really good. 
Yeah, she did, just really nice character beats. They're weird, those side missions, because a lot of them are so, like, relationship-driven. Like, the actual, like, what you have to do to complete them as a character again doesn't really matter who you bring into them. Mm. Like, you don't have to have good guns, you don't have to have good stealth powers, you know, they're, they're designed to be finished, because they almost don't want the game getting in the way of, like, the writing and the character beat and the moment. There's, like, no frustration. It just it has like a lot more in common, weirdly, with like an amazing walking sim in those <laughs> missions. Like yeah. it's just about spending time with someone really cool and doing an activity with them. I will say actually, just to go back to like the game criticism a bit, I like it's not very good at rewarding like a stealthy playthrough. I think I did four missions like without getting caught once, like four main missions, mm. and like in one of them, the game glitched and it considered me having been caught before it even entered like the premises. That was like that big industrial estate you have to go into. The game just like whatever reason, right. no matter what I did, the the guards knew I was already there, even though I hadn't even entered like the level, which was right an unfortunate bug. Um, the one acknowledgement I think I got was Judy saying to me in one level, wow, you never waste a bullet, do you? And I was like, okay, a bit of dialogue there. But I feel like Deus Ex, for example, was really good at being like, oh, you didn't get caught throughout this entire mission, have like a thousand XP or whatever. Um, yeah, or, or the story would change, you know, like hmm. this person didn't get killed because you didn't alert the guards or something. Yeah, that's it. And so that's that's like, again where I was like, ah, oh, I kind of feel like I've engaged with this, like it is an immersive sim, but it hasn't responded like one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's such as it is. And yeah, I think you're right. Like uh, maybe with these like uh, side character sort of like side quests, it's, de- it's best to treat them that way. It's like the narrative comes first. You just got to shoot all these dudes in the head with your fire bullets until they're all fucking gone. And then like the nice story moment can play out. And that's okay. Yeah, okay, good. So the ending, Matthew. Um, I've only seen like the one ending, the basic basic bitch ending for <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077. Um, does like... This is where I kind of thought, oh, is this game actually an RPG? Because as far as I could tell, you couldn't meaningfully change anything along that ending path. Like, it's not like you got two or three major decisions to make. One of them was, um, do you kill the big angry cyborg man, Adam Smasher, or not? That doesn't seem to change anything. I don't think you can really change anything about the outcome to the Arasaka family, which is like a key part of like the... There's like a family civil war in this corporation that you're caught in the middle of that drives like the last half of the game. That didn't seem to be meaningfully changed. There's one choice you can make that basically gives you one of two cutscenes in that entire ending. And I found it really disappointing. And now I know that the other endings are tied up in completing these side quests. But I do think Mm. as like the sort of basic ending that probably most people will see, this was incredibly unsatisfying. Um, Basically, you Mm. lose like no matter what. And I think it's kind of weird to punish people for a, for an ending, to, to punish people with an ending like that in a game that doesn't allow you to meaningfully make choices that affect the outcome. Um, yeah. Yeah, what it do you make of that? Like, it, 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 yeah, it funnels you towards that point of no return incredibly quickly. Like, I think I, I was taking my time playing for review and I still hit it in, like, 30 hours or something. And I played the game for another 30 hours before I, like, eventually came in and did, you know, uh, maybe that's not true. I think I I then did all the other side stuff maybe in, like, 10, 15 hours and then another 15 hours on top of that to mop stuff up. I basically had a 60, 70 hour save file at the end of this and felt like I'd pretty much done everything I could do in that world. Given that so much of the ending hinges on you having one over side characters and given that the side characters 
its content, I would say, is is like the heart of the game in terms of you know the emotional heart of the game. Hmm. I'm amazed they don't just go, you have to do that as part of the story before you get to the point of no return. You're right. The the basic bitch ending just doesn't give you anywhere interesting to go. Yeah, so that that ending for people, in case you haven't played it for a while or you haven't played it and you don't care, like um, basically, because you, you have Keanu Reeves stuck in your head, the whole thing is, can you get Keanu Reeves out of your head? And you basically make a deal to do so, and then um, basically that you're told that they can, this Arasaka Corporation can basically trap your conscious self inside their big like a digital prison, essentially, until one day they might be able to put your conscious self into a new body so you can live again. So there's a sense of, like, why should you trust them? Or you can go be terminally ill and live the last six months of your life. And I picked the terminally ill uh, ending and basically got lots of unsatisfying phone calls from SideQuest characters whose SideQuests I had not completed. And it was very much like everyone shrugging at your funeral kind of vibes to it like <laughs> like fuck this guy kind of thing it's like it may be how my actual funeral goes when like people ask like my former sort of like dep eds and art art editors like what did you think of samuel at his funeral and he's like yeah it was all right i guess like it's like, <laughs> very much that kind of vibe to it um would you turn up to someone's funeral if you only thought they were all right i guess <laughs> yeah I like suppose. you know bath a long drive from a lot of places <laughs> yeah it's like well, no, i don't so... think you're gonna die in bath i think you'll die somewhere exotic um but i appreciate your optimism um <laughs> <laughs> depends how many more of these tack attacker raps i get through uh, matthew in the next year or so well, you have a heart attack attacker <laughs> that's very good very 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 specific bleak joke there um (laughs) so yeah i found that very odd it was like oh yeah i thought it just cool to say you're dying i guess sorry about that mate like (laughs) just really odd um but yeah without spoiling the other endings for you because i think you should go and do those and i imagine you will like yeah the the big the big problem with this game is that on the surface the, the the variety of like missions that can conclude the game are quite exciting like each each faction plays out incredibly differently like how you approach the situation what happens like there are always a couple of decisions which decides a few character fates along the way but the problem that i do have with it is that it sort of silos everyone into like one or four endings Mm. there's no ending which kind of paints an entire picture of your time in night city it's kind of like in this ending revolves like around you know you only cared about the nomad people who lived outside the city. You know, in this ending, you're super in with Johnny's ex-bandmates. There's this ending attached to them. And, you know, in the moment, you're like, yeah, this is fun. But there's, you know, having played all of them and a couple of variations of each of them, like I really mined the endings um, when I did the original review. I just felt like none of them accurately portrayed, but you know, my time in the city because you have all this interaction with the particular faction, and then everyone you don't choose is basically pissed off with you. So, like, if you die in the ending or your life goes on, like you say, they've all got quite different endings. It always has this gimmick of like you're hearing like voice messages from people, and they're like, "So, I guess you didn't care about me after all." And it's like, well, actually, there was like no path where I could choose to like granularly care about all of you you know there was nothing like there should have been an ending to this where you have spent the time earning the affection and loyalty of all these people and together something spectacular can happen but instead it's kind of ah you chose them over someone else and I would not naturally do that it's uh 
I, th- I think it's kind of a total bust of an ending for me personally. Yeah. Uh, what you kind of want is an ending like the suicide mission in Mass Effect 2 where right. maybe the first time you play it, you make a few errors and a few people die and you left you leave things too late. And then on a replay, like you say, you kind of like, you know exactly where to send people. You go exactly the right time and you kind of like, you, you fuck up the... Um, the sort of like uh, the enemies and then like uh, the big Terminator robot man and everyone's still alive and you feel like you've properly triumphed. Um, yeah. And like that, that just, it, it doesn't have the reactivity of an RPG, but I find it really weird that it has a lot of the like storytelling mechanisms of an RPG, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's odd because they think they did do it really well in The Witcher, like not, not specifically the ending, but like the, the end of Act 2 in The Witcher, which is like a big siege on Kaer and revolves around... Like all these side characters who you thought were just side characters, you know, you thought you were just doing favors for like Karametz and whatever your dwarf friends called. I can can't remember any of their names. You earn the loyalty of lots of people, and then at a time in need, before the end of the story, comes a big set piece where all these people like turn up for you, mm. and it's kind of like the suicide mission in that the more people you have, like the better the outcome of that particular fight. Mm. And it was really well done because you also don't see it coming until I spoiled it for you on this podcast. <laughs> but you know, you're like, oh right, there were like repercussions for all these things I did. That was cool. They all kind of came together, and and they can do it there because it isn't tied to the ending. You know, then the third act is like a very personal kind of like stretch of the story just for Geralt and that makes perfect sense and like I'd almost rather they did something here where they kind of pulled everyone together and then you know the end of the story is about you and Johnny Silverhand like as it is you can kind of opt out of the story being about Johnny Silverhand for like three out of four endings which feels wrong given that that's the entire thrust of the story is about you with this dude um it's just very muddles its priorities I think yeah for sure quite quite sort of strange there's also like a bunch of choices i made throughout this game where i'd never really worked out what the significance of them was so for example when you are sent into when you briefly work for the was it the voodoo boys is that what they're called yeah yeah when you potentially work... you, you briefly work for a lot of people <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's the bit they showed i think in the second press demo they did um like when you're in pacifico and you go into that abandoned mall um oh yeah yeah and then like i remember in that demo they showed like you hacking the um the sort of like boxing robot to beat up that guy um and then i got there and realized i couldn't do that and i was like oh that's disappointing i had no idea i've no idea how you would even go about activating something like this because the game's quite weird with how it encourages you to install cyberware in that it doesn't really and i was like oh that's kind of a bummer but there was um the two two parts that i found strange that you, you find some like I don't know. I think he's like uh, Max Tack government dude in like a, a thing where he's like, "Oh no, you should you should turn on the Voodoo Boys. I'll give you information or whatever." And I decided to kill him, and then I decided to also kill the Voodoo Boys. And then like there was no consequence from it. Like they didn't come after me when I went to Pacifica. There was no sense that like oh there were people just out out for blood. It was like just this very self contained moment of oh I killed loads of people, took a nice jacket that V now wears and a few nice guns, <laughs> and there's no other like repercussions from it and i found that quite odd you know what i mean like it those moments yeah. that should feel meaningful don't end up being so and there's 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 like a couple of missions which in this that's one there's one before the heist as well i think that the, the, the early mission when you go into that sort of factory like there are lots of variables in it in in the course of the mission that don't really amount to anything and 
like if you do replay this game and i i was very meticulous with my like saves and reloads because i really wanted to sort of you know get into the guts of it and work out you know how how the game was or wasn't changing if if you actually do look at it all with a magnifying glass it's kind of like impressively unelastic Hmm. in its sort of central storyline there's a lot of stuff which looks like it's important but actually all it changes is very minor cameos later but in the moment it's sold as like a huge like moral conundrum which is a a bit of a disappointment you know given that this is the studio who in the witcher 3 uh, the witcher 2 sorry you know changed the entire second act like there are bespoke second acts which are the meat of the game uh, based on a single decision at the end of the first act, I, you know, for all the big talk, I was expecting it to deliver, you know, if not something as substantial as that, something closer. I mean, this was quite quite powerfully underwhelming in in that sense. I don't know. I've heard other people argue that actually, what's important is the is not the consequence; it's the drama of the choice, it's the excitement of the moment, and like, who cares if. You know who's really going to sit there with paper and pen and work out if it actually amounted to anything? It's more the the thrill of the moment with all these people shouting kind of rival information at you, and I think that's true to an extent. But there definitely comes a time when you feel like, is this all meaningless? You know, did this actually amount to anything? Yeah. And it makes it makes those moments much harder to land afterwards because you're like, well, this is a world where nothing really matters. So you know, do I care? Yeah, I would also argue that people who you know who were invested in like the the sort of fallout of a moment and like and don't necessarily just see it as oh, all the matters is the drama of the moment those people are rpg fans those are the people yeah. who do care about their permutations and mm. um would look at like a, a you know a sort of like flow chart of how a different uh, how an ending would work in a particular rpg those those are the people who care about it and and that is the heritage of cd project red like whether that's fair to like you know stick that baggage on this game is maybe up for debate but i would yeah. say that it, it does it does come across as slightly less satisfying than if it did if it was more reactive i think that could be that would just be quite an exciting avenue to see um yeah yeah but but, uh, then, yeah. but then you know the, the, the stuff that you were know, saying earlier that really did win me over and really did speak to me is stuff which isn't reactive at all like you know going on a, a like a weird dreamy date with judy plays out one way and one way only but it means they have total control and can give you the best version of that mission and likewise the the scenes between like johnny and rogue and johnny and his ex-bandmate kerry where you just go and sort of hang out with these people and and they get to like air grievances from sort of 30 years ago or whatever that only ever goes out one way you know there's there's, there's no changing that and that's the stuff i actually really remember it's almost mm. like they doubled down on like let's make sure the stuff everyone sees will be you know, absolutely splendid to hell to hell with the literally to hell with the consequences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. And this, yeah, it's also the sense of like, are you wasting too much cash when like you know you lock a whole? Yeah. If you were to lock like massive amounts of content behind a wall, is it too much work to like make all those permutations relative to the returns? Like, there is a, a legitimately fair argument to make around that. I think when a game is this meticulous and how those cutscenes are presented so i asked the creators of um dying like two about this because they were giving it all the big talk about consequences and echoing and you know he was saying like yes that that is that is the case you know like it is a really it is a it's a huge swing and it's a hugely expensive investment but also like the sheer audacity of those swings yeah. is the stuff people remember forever like 
I will always remember the second act of The Witcher 2 because it's such a bold move. Mm. Like, what a huge gamble. Admittedly, the way they did it there is by the whole game being about 20 hours, which I would rather have a 20-hour game that is incredibly flexible uh, than a 100-hour game that isn't very flexible. So sometimes you just got to just got to have the conies uh, to do it well i know you sound like a cyberpunk character matthew I'm oh just... yeah sorry uh conies that will be uh, translated by your ui and say balls <laughs> yeah I, that ui is really impressive i was thinking that's got to be at least two people's jobs to have fucking made all that for this game just the subtitles alone looked really expensive um cool all right well i think we kind of covered it there matthew uh, I still very much like this game. I just wanted to have a nice chewy chat about it. I think we, uh, I think we did that here. It was good. Yeah, I think we. Yeah, when we talked about it originally, like I didn't really want to spoil it for you. We didn't really want to spoil it for people who hadn't had a chance to play. So we kind of tiptoed around it a bit. But yeah, I feel like I've, I feel like I've said my piece. Yeah, and it's nice to, it's nice to talk about it outside of the shadow of the release, which was just not a good, not a good time for anyone. You know? Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, in which case, Matthew, I think we're I think we're about done here. Um, so next week is two giant men play God of War Ragnarok. So you had a little teaser there of what me and uh, me and Matthew think of the game. I've got a long way to go with it though, so uh, uh, I'm I'm excited to continue. It feels long. Oh, okay. Ragnarok. Oh, interesting. How many hours in do you, are you? Do you reckon? Like twelve, but I just you know what you can tell from like skill tree progression and things <laughs> like that, and you're like. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I'm like a third, th- you know, I'm basing it on interface here, but I'm getting that kind of, you know, I feel like I'm only about a third through it. Oh shit, I've got fucking miles to go then. Better get cracking, <laughs> better like hang up from this podcast recording and go play it <laughs> yeah. immediately. Um, yeah, that's good. I'm looking forward to discussing that in depth, uh, Matthew. Um, so yeah, this was this was really fun. Uh, on the uh, If you'd like to back the podcast, sorry, support the podcast, it's uh, patreon.com slash backpagepod. We've just added a new stretch goal, actually, which is um, uh, a bit of a daft one. But me and Matthew thought that if we hit three grand on Patreon, which will never happen, we're on about 2,000 at the moment, um, which we're, you know, to be clear, we're very, very happy with. Um, We uh, will basically go to uh, six different escape rooms and document our experience in audio form. And it's called Escape from the Back Page. Um, what did you think of all that, Matthew? My idea I came up with half eleven on a Sunday. Yeah, I got that. Like, I think I read that at midnight and was like, <laughs> yeah, good, good idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that would be great. I think we could record secret audio in the escape room for some like live uh, on the ground reporting. Yeah, that could be really fun. So that's a good dream for us at some point. If if somehow we ever hit that amount, we don't think we will. But then, yeah, you never know. So uh, that's that's on there. Later this month, we're doing like the James Bond movies ranked on the XXL uh, tier episode. So you know, <laughs> so there's um, there's plenty going on on the Patreon. If you'd like to join the Discord, um, you can find a link to that in our profile on um, Twitter. So uh, Twitter.com/slash/backpagepod. You'll see a link to the Discord there if you'd like to join our very pleasant community. Uh, Matthew, where can people find you on social media? Uh, I am at Mr. Basil underscore Pesto, and my Mastodon is... No, I'm joking. <laughs> I uh... sort of like... Um, I felt a bit like uh, Johnny Silverhand when one of the listeners found my Mastodon and followed me. I felt like <laughs> I, I felt like Johnny Silverhand trapped in the fucking, you know, Arasaka, like, mainframe thing, and then some rando just came and found me. It's like, ah, oh, so you found me, huh? Kind of like that vibes. Um, Mastodon emails me every time someone follows me, and it's like, oh... I'm just not on there. I just did it once when Twitter was having a fucking wobble. Like uh, an I'm not on ago. there. I wouldn't know what server to join. 
I'm I'm happier to be I think I'm happy to be scattered to the wind and to be never be found again. Like um like the original ending of Dexter, Matthew. I might just go and be like a lumberjack somewhere and then like uh, start a new life. So yeah. yeah. Uh, and then come back for a surprisingly alright miniseries. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good that'd be a good yeah, good pivot for me. Um okay, good. We're done. Let's go. Goodbye. Bye bye. finish the fucking sentence of the first sentence of this plan that's good isn't it <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> going great this 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 episode plan is as fucked as the launch version of cyberpunk <laughs> <laughs> oh, i've played through cyberpunk 2077 a game matthew competed and discussed on and then there's no more information um amazing all right it's good cyberpunk chat it's yeah. not like lol city <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to night city <laughs> But that's because we save all the best material for uh, this gap in between recording. <laughs> you should put all the, the best of all the gaps in right at the end if you if you can, Matthew. Yes. Um, you know the real heads, the real pod heads will be up for that. <laughs>